The In Development Podcast is brought to you by ScreenwritingNinja.com. At Screenwriting Ninja, you can get one-on-one instruction from working Hollywood writers on your screenplay, no matter where you are in the writing process and no matter where in the country you live. Check it out at ScreenwritingNinja.com. All in the game, yo. Why would we do something like this? Show me the money. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Pathetic. I said pathetic? Desperate. Pathetic. When are you right? Right, are we talking about a second? Why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? Hello and welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of the In Development Podcast. My name is Mike Maloney. Joining me, as always, is Nathan DeWitt. Nathan, talk to me. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing quite well. Uh, Very excited for today's show. Yes, it's a very special episode, as I mentioned, and the reason it is so special. Listeners, from the ages of 15 to 18, my three favorite things in the world were, maybe not in this order, March Madness... Seinfeld, and masturbating. And today we are going to combine two of those three wonderful things into a little segment we like to call Scientology, which will be explained in a moment. Basically, Nathan and I are going to go through all of the secondary characters in Seinfeld and determine, March Madness bracket style, who was the greatest secondary character in Seinfeld history. So we'll get to that in a second. But first, we're going to do a little listener feedback segment where, Nathan, you are going to talk a little um, bit about American Dad. Yeah, last time uh, we had our podcast, we talked. I mentioned that American Dad was stupid. That's right. Uh, and one of our loyal listeners, Jason's in, in New Jersey, uh, sent me a text and really took issue with that. Um, and ordinarily, I would have completely ignored him, except that Jason is the person who turned me on to Arrested Development. Oh, well, Jason has so, some good cred there. Yeah, I figured his, his opinion was probably pretty valid. So I checked out a few American Dads, and I'm here to report back. It is not stupid. Okay. But I still don't think it's good. Okay. Um. It's it's smart enough, but what it is is to use a term from grad school. It's a lot of whipped cream on a duck. Okay. Like a lot of jokes that have extra jokes on top of them that they don't really need. And it's just kind of got its ass between two chairs as to whether it's Family Guy or like an Adult Swim type show. Right. Um, so not for me, but not stupid. Well, Seth MacFarlane's MO is sort of the whipped cream on a duck, right? Jokes yes. on jokes on jokes on jokes at the expense of maybe story and some character. Although some of the characters in American Dad and uh, Family Guy are pretty pretty – Entertaining. I just think yes. that sometimes the jokes get in the way of the actual show itself. Definitely true. Uh, however, 64 characters who were extremely entertaining and rarely uh, got in the way of themselves are featured in our Seinfeld bracket. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, Nathan and I have talked many times off the air about our favorite television programs of all time. And I've noticed one recurring theme. One, there tends to be mostly dramas. So there's a, a hot debate, you know, whether we like The Wire or Six Feet Under, Sopranos, whatever it may be. But as far as the comedy goes, I think there's one clear-cut winner. As great as Arrested Development is, as great as Cheers was, Nathan's a big news radio guy. We like the first four seasons of Friends. Simpsons. Yeah, Simpsons. At the end of the day, Seinfeld, bar none, is the greatest comedy program of all time. Yeah, and I would say it did more to shape both your and mine and probably the most of the people listening to this is sense of humor. Yeah, uh, Seinfeld went off the air in 1998 when we were both seniors in high school. So it was basically in our most formative years of sort of defining our sense of humor. And I know for me personally, it's the single biggest uh, effect on me wanting to become a writer just because that was the first time I sort of realized that someone was engineering the genius Mm -hmm. that I was watching every week. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, it was an amazing show, and you know, obviously, this is in the spirit of like uh, Grantland's Wire Bracketology, and yeah, that's uh, basically where we got the idea. We definitely ripped it off, although they weren't the first person to uh, take the March Madness concept of the big bracket that everyone likes charting winners and losers through and applying it to pop culture. So basically, for those that don't know, on Grantland.com, you can go and see the results now because the voting has already occurred. But they went through with only 32 characters, which was a bit of a, I think, kind of stopping well, they half-assed it. Yeah, I they mean, half-assed it. As, as many things they do in Bill Simmons land, as great a uh, content producer as he is, I feel like there's always a little bit of laziness uh, in there. Um, but they went through the, the greatest wire characters. Omar, not surprisingly, came out on top. We can talk at another time, perhaps, about where we differ on that. But let's get let's jump into our Scientology bracket. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so just a little bit preface here. For those that are not uh, sports savvy, so to speak. Well, real quick, before you jump into that, uh, yeah. there'll be a version of this on our Facebook page. Yeah, we'll have the bracket up uh, there. So you can there. see the bracket and follow along and argue with us if you want. Yeah, so I would suggest uh, if you're listening to this now, you might want to stop the broadcast, go print out a bracket, maybe write down who you think should win each of these matchups, and then you can debate in real time as we debate it here on the show. You can sort of chime in with your opinions that no one else can hear. Or you can do none of that and just keep listening. Yeah, hopefully you're a Seinfeld fan, but uh, we hope our passion for the subject would carry this uh, into the entertaining levels for people even that didn't watch the show that much. But uh, just a quick primer here on how March Madness works. So basically, for those that don't know, there are 64 teams. Um, Each of them are seeded into four regions, and for the purposes of our Scientology bracket... It seems silly to incorporate Jerry, Kramer, George, and Elaine into the bracket themselves because, of course, they would come out victorious as the greatest character in their respective region. So instead, we've named each of the four regions after those four main characters and then taken all the secondary characters and organized them by their importance on the show. And by importance, we mean the number of episodes they appeared in. Uh, was mm-hmm. the single most prevailing factor in how they were seated, and then just a little bit of uh, editorial decisions by Nathan and I to sort of make some intriguing matchups that would be fun to debate. Um, so we yeah, have... if we put the level of thought and energy into our lives as we put into building this bracket, I don't think we'd need to do a podcast. No, we also probably wouldn't have a podcast, and we probably wouldn't do anything of the you know we wouldn't be ourselves for one thing no not at all we'd be successful people this reminds me of uh nathan and i a couple of summers ago decided to make top 10 lists of seinfeld and friends episodes and then watch them in descending order and i think both of us took about you know at least 36 hours to just really pour over make sure we made the right decisions so long story short, we're a couple of nerds who know what we're talking about. That's right. Um, and do we want to jump in? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a tournament. Like, winner yeah. advances. We're going to get it down to the final four. Right. Nathan and, then, and I are basically going to debate each matchup between two characters. And are, you're, it's just like any sort of stupid debate like this in pop culture. Our reasoning can be very different. You know, we can look at it different ways. But at the end of the day, we're trying to get at who was our favorite character, who was the best character, quote unquote. But of course, just like the MVP race in any sort of sport because it's most valuable, that can be argued in a lot of different ways. But let's jump right in here, Nathan. So like I mentioned, the four regions are named after the respective four main characters, and the supporting characters are seated within those regions. We tried to group them by how they related to one of those main characters. So for instance, we're going to start here with the Jerry region, and all these characters would be most closely related to Jerry on the show. So let's dive right in here. Our first matchup, the one seed, which is the highest seed, that means the highest ranked team slash character going to the tournament against our 16 seed which is the lowest 
is Morty Seinfeld, our number one seed in the Jerry region, against old Sally Weaver, the 16 seed, who is played, of course, by Kathy Griffin. Nathan, let's go to you for your thoughts on this. Um, I mean, in spite of Sally Weaver's one-man show, Jerry Seinfeld is the devil. Uh, I have Morty winning this one in a walk. Yeah, I, I, what I said here was that Sally Weaver, while pesky, which was really her calling card, she'd be one of those 16 seeds that gave Morty a run for a little bit. But at a certain point, Morty's capacity for spite would end up ruling the day, and he would start yelling, my wallet is gone, my wallet (laughs) is gone, and uh, he would eventually uh, prevail. So as often happens in March Madness, actually no 16 seed has ever defeated a one. I don't think it's going to happen here today, and it definitely didn't happen here in this Morty-Sally matchup. All right, moving on to our second matchup in the Jerry region, the winner to play Morty Seinfeld. We have the eight seed, Marla the Virgin against the nine seed Rachel Goldstein, who is best known as A, the girl that dated Jerry the most episodes, four total. Most, of course, only lasted one. And she's best known for A, uh, being the person that saw George's shrinkage uh, unit after getting out of the pool, and then, of course, making out with Jerry during Schindler's List. So Nathan, Which is one of my favorite Seinfeld plots ever. Uh, and because of that, I have Rachel advancing. advancing. Yeah. I also picked uh, Rachel over Marla the Virgin. Uh, who was played by Jane Leaves, who would go on to a starring role in Frasier. Uh, my rationale basically was that moment where Rachel walks into the room when George is dropping trow and sees <laughs> his shrinkage. The look slash laugh that she gives him is the most emasculating moment perhaps in television history. She just levels him in that yeah, moment. Yeah, it's rivaled only by when Phoebe Cates catches Judge Reinhold masturbating in the pirate suit in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High for like most grossed out, horrified face I've ever seen. In George's defense, he was in the pool. He, he was, was in the in pool. The pool. <laughs> um, well, moving right along in our March Madness pool, let's get on to our 4-13 matchup. So our four seed is good old Kenny Banya, the hack comic that uh, always was annoying Jerry. And the 13 seed, a guy that only appeared in two episodes, Mike Moffat, who uh, Jerry fom- fam- famously referred to as a phony. So where did No, you- Mike Moffat referred to Jerry That's as a right. phony. And then he um, tried to tell him that he was a bigger phony than him, I believe. Yeah, but then he also said, tried to say it was a good thing. Like, man, that Michael Jordan is so phony. Um, <laughs> so I'll give Mike Moffat moxie points. And I think it's a little closer than... Maybe it should be, but I got I have Banya winning this one. Yeah, I, well, Moffat has one of the great bug-eyed sort of looks, especially when he gets his thumbs broken by Jerry when he slams the trunk of his car <laughs> yes. on his hands. Uh, I think Banya runs away in the end, fueled by his bad Ovaltine bit that Jerry gave him, and of course the sustenance that only a soup from Mendy's can provide. Definitely. Um, so Banya, moving on, getting to our five twelve matchup for those March Madness fans out there, we. All know that the 5-12 matchup can be a definite potential for upsets here, so we kept that in mind when making the matchups. Our 5 seed here, the higher seed, is Dr. Tim Watley, and the 12 seed is the venerable, and rest in peace Lloyd Bridges, Izzy Mandelbaum. Nathan, where did you weigh in on this uh, battle? Well, I went back and forth because I did enjoy Izzy Mandelbaum's uh, commitment to fitness. It's go time. Uh, it is go time, uh, and obviously his, uh, he amassed a great fortune at the Magic Crepe. Or the Magic Pan Crapery. Um, yes. But in the end, I had to go with Dentist to the Stars, Tim Watley. Yeah. Uh, simply because of the penthouses in his waiting room. Yeah, I went with Watley as well. Uh, he's actually, uh, I don't want to foreshadow too much, but he is a powerhouse, I feel like, in the especially in the very peripheral characters. Well, don't spoil it. Yeah, I won't spoil <laughs> it. But uh, just, you know, he gives a hit of nitrous oxide to Izzy Mandelbaum, and suddenly he's having, you know, a three-way with a 
passed out old man and his very hot assistant, and you got yourself a, a big time victory on your hands. And played by Emmy winner Brian Cranston. Yeah, Cranston definitely has the most post Seinfeld cred. A lot of people would not go on to bigger fame and fortune. Oh, I mean, a lot of people would go on to their own series, but I think Cranston took it in a direction becoming the best dramatic TV star outside yeah. of John Hamm. He's on one end of the spectrum, and the uh, unfortunately the gentleman who played Kruger is on the other. Yeah. We'll get to him. We'll get to Kruger uh, in the George bracket. Um, all right, so we have w- Watley moving on. Uh, moving down to the bottom half of the Jerry bracket, we have the three-seed Helen Seinfeld, Jerry's mother, against the uh, matriarch of the Seinfeld clan, Nana Seinfeld, is the 14-seed. Where do you uh, weigh in on this battle, Nathan? Uh, I mean, I got Helen pretty convincingly. I feel like Nana would... Maybe even not even show up to the game. Oh, our uh, first she might get lost. First time we've disagreed. Upset alert for you, Nathan. I have Nana really? Seinfeld prevailing, and here's why. I feel like Helen would be so obsessed during the battle trying to tell everyone how infallible Jerry is, and she'd be too <laughs> proud to accept outside help, just like she couldn't accept the Cadillac that Jerry tried to give his dad. Um, Nana would just start chipping away with those little birthday checks you know, on the floor. But she can't even open her own ketchup. She couldn't find the bank. That's just luring Helen into a false sense of security so that she can spring it. But I, Oh, but I feel like Helen is just such a great character, particularly, like, I have her winning this based solely on her reaction when Jerry opens the uh, wizard tip calculator. She claps her hands together and goes, Jerry got it open, like, <laughs> as elated as your mother or my mother might be in that situation. Yes, she's the um, ultimate uh, Jerry can, her son can do no wrong. And I, I have to say that you made me laugh. I actually watched that YouTube clip earlier this afternoon in preparation for this. Nice. And uh, I'm going to side with you on this one and uh, we'll go ahead and advance Helen in our joint bracket here that we're keeping track All of. Right. She's about to run into a powerhouse. Yeah. So. She uh, would face the winner of our next matchup, the six seed versus the 11 seed. Our six seed is old Jack Klompas from uh, Del Boca Vista, one of Morty's good old friends. And then the 11 seed here is Mabel Choate, who most of you might best remember, we would best remember her for as being the old lady that Jerry steals the marble rye for, as well as the deciding vote in the Del Boca Vista presidential election when they try to uh, impeach Morty. When they impeach Morty, uh, Morty yeah. yeah. Gets when Jack out. Klompas speed, uh, leads a team to impeach Morty. I have Jack Klompas here in a rout. Yes. Uh, to me, Jack, Jack, you don't want to play Jack Klompas. Take the pen. Yes, exactly. Between... His space pen that he demanded uh, Jerry take and then crashing the Cadillac and somehow that being Jerry's fault. He was uh, the best. I feel like he's just a natural born asshole. I think we and should do him a personal favor here, Nathan, and advance him in the bracket. Yes, definitely. All right, we'll so do him a solid. Klompus, uh clomps his way uh, around the court, takes out Mabel Choate. That brings us to the very bottom of the bracket, our 7-10 matchup. A couple of uh, culinary greats in Seinfeld <laughs> world. We've got Poppy. Against Babu Bat, uh, international um, flavor here and uh, a lot of culinary flavor. Nathan, where where do you stand on this matchup? Um, well, just to bring everyone up to speed, Poppy was the person um, with whom Kramer was going to open a start your own pizza business. That's right, uh, or where you bake your own pizza. But there was much argument over when the pizza became a pie. That's right. Well, the old uh, and the whole thing was a debate. metaphor for abortion. Yep. Yeah, and then Babu was uh, Jerry's Pakistani friend who. Tried to open a restaurant, and then Jerry told him to make it all Pakistani food, and he went out of business. That's right. Um, so in this one, I have Poppy, uh, just because of his story about how his mother died on the high seas. <laughs> um, sort of a prelude to Peterman, actually. Yes, absolutely. Um, I uh, actually picked uh, Babu Bat here for the reason that uh, 
He has the ultimate uh, Dikembe Mutombo wagging finger at the rim. Oh, that is true. Very bad. Very, and, very yeah, bad. The, the very, very bad man is a much better catchphrase uh, than anything Poppy's bringing to the table. Plus, I uh, feel like one look at Babu and Poppy's going to wet the couch just like you did right. in that previous episode. So that, that's why I went with Babu there. I don't all right. Know. I will give you we'll, – we'll put in Babu in the official uh, okay. bracketology. All right. That brings us to our – uh, let's see, eighth and final matchup in the first round of the Jerry region, and that is the big two seed heavy hitter, Uncle Leo. Hello. Hello. Um, May he rest in peace. Against the 15 seed, his progeny, who we actually never saw on screen, cousin Jeffrey, who, as you well know, Nathan, worked for the Parks Department. Yes, and he was in a uh, production of The Mikado and was tremendous. Really? Um, That's right. Yes. Nonetheless, I have Leo advancing... Pretty thoroughly. Maybe the biggest beatdown of the whole region. Yeah, I think Uncle Leo would do a nice little job, a little rope-a-dope action, kind of holding Cousin Jeffrey up for a while, being his own son that he loves so very much. But in the end, I can just envision Bill Raftery calling this game and just, yeah, <laughs> after a big Uncle Leo dunk, just saying, hello, you know, as they go to commercial. <laughs> so uh, we're going to move Uncle Leo on in the matchup. So that brings us to the second round of the Jerry region. So our winners in the top of the bracket here, we have Morty Seinfeld, the one seed, going against Rachel Goldstein, Jerry's girlfriend, the nine seed. Uh, I have Morty winning because the team breaks out their uh, world's greatest dad, or number one dad shirts. That's uh, They're all a size too small, but that really uh, gets the team motivated. I keep Thanks. coming back to that look and that laugh, the Rachel Goldstein walking in, seeing that shrinkage. I just feel like... That she's a giant killer, Nathan. She looks at any man and she can stare them down, and Morty will end up falling on his sword just like he did when he was impeached in the Del Boca Vista. Here's 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 why you're wrong. Okay, uh, it's the when uh, Jerry goes down to Florida for the Cadillac. Kramer asks him to bring back some Cubans, and Jerry assumes he's talking about cigars. Jerry is then greeted at the door by three Cuban men who he lets sleep on the couch. Morty comes out of the mom's room to get a glass of water. Sees these three men in the, co- in the house and asks Jerry who they are. Jerry says Cubans. And all Morty has to say is, well, don't tell your mother. <laughs> I feel like anyone who would have that kind of loyalty to his son has got to be able to beat Rachel Goldstein, who's only on four episodes. True, but she does stare. You know, she's a pretty brazen gal. I mean, making out in Schindler's List shows that she can stand toe to toe with uh, even the most heavy of circumstances. But I, I think I'm going to side with you on this one, Nathan. I think... Morty, although it's a chalk pick, going with the higher seed here. Well, we'll it is. Well, we get into some not chalk in a, in a bit, and I'm sure there will be more disagreement. But I, re- I really feel like Morty's got to take it over Rachel right. here. So Morty advances to the Sweet 16, and who will he face? We are down to Kenny Banya, Hack Comic, versus Dr. Tim Watley in a 4-5 battle. Who do you got, Nathan? More so than any other uh, game in the entire bracket, this was the last one I picked. Because it was the hardest? Yeah, I couldn't choose. Okay. Um, uh, It's a classic battle between stupidity masquerading as confidence and actual over-masculinity masquerading (laughs) as confidence. Um, And not surprisingly, I went with over-masculinity. I have Tim Watley um, only because Banya's like... uh, He's a character that could have existed on another show, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Whereas Tim Watley, like, there's no other show that's going to have a dentist that drugs you and may or may not molest you while you're under the gas and let's come on i mean he'll convert religions just for the jokes (laughs) just for the jokes exactly mazel tov to tim watley i agree with you nathan's i say we move him on to the sweet 16 i feel like banya's act is pretty thin so he's gonna run out of uh things to do to to be that new risk management material is gold jerry 
Gold. Absolute gold. R.I.P. Banya in our bracket. Okay, moving on to the bottom half of the bracket now. We've got a second-round matchup of Helen Seinfeld, Jerry's mom, against good old Jack Klompas. A battle you could literally see, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I feel like they probably threw down if we were able to see uh, what went on at Del Boca Vista. Uh, I got Klompas. Uh, well, I had Nana Seinfeld advancing to face Klompas, but I had Klompas clomping, clomping her and because okay. it came down to this for me. Do you think he's never ridden in a Cadillac before? He's ridden in a Cadillac <laughs> before thousands of times. That's right. So uh, just on that luxury car knowledge alone, I, I'm going to move him on to the Sweet 16. Uh, all right, let's go to our last second-round matchup in the Jerry region. We've got Babu Bot, who came out of the 7-10 matchup, and then Uncle Leo, powerhouse. Where do you weigh in on this one, Nathan? I mean, I got I have Uncle Leo just crushing him. Yeah. Um, I mean, Uncle Leo just such a good character with as indignant as he gets anytime Jerry has to be somewhere else. Like when Jerry has this meeting uh, with NBC, Leo's just like he doesn't even say, "Oh, that's good for you." It's just like I got plenty of friends in show business. <laughs> it's just everything has to be about him and Jeffrey. You still say hello. Yes, you still say hello. Uh, plus his crime of passion. You know, I can. I'm advancing Uncle Leo on on eyebrows alone. I feel like that's <laughs> enough to get him past Babu Bot, who has a good pair of eyebrows himself, but the that's wagging true, finger a, can a only get you so far. Uh, so Uncle Leo's moving on here. That brings us to our some big powerhouse matchups now. We've got the Sweet 16, Morty Seinfeld versus Dr. Tim Watley. 1-5, Nathan, our first week's Sweet 16 battle here. Who do you got? I got Watley. As do I. Interesting. What is um, your rationale? The uh, trying to finagle, um, I forget exactly how it's worded, but into a Super Bowl sex romp with the lane yes. when Jerry gives him the tickets. Uh, just like she goes upstairs to see if he's regifted the label maker, and he takes this as meaning he has carte blanche to go after her and is going to take her to uh, the Super Bowl in Miami until she questions him about the sleeping right Looking to take his talents and Elaine to South Beach with him. There. That's right. Uh, I also had Watley for the. I, I'm I'm not positive about this, but I feel like the regifting episode, which Watley is obviously the the star secondary character mm-hmm. of, was the first show where they really started pushing, taking that one term like regifting and making it sort of the centerpiece of the show. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong about that being the first one, but I feel like that was the landmark episode where then they started to really go after it hard with low talking, high talking, all those sorts of things. Right, with all the catchphrases and labels and nicknames. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, And plus, you know, Watley seemed to have a hotter chick with him every time we saw him. especially Every single time. The guy's got swagger, and the swagger gets you to the Elite Eight. (laughs) It definitely does. Okay, so then in our other Sweet 16 matchup, Uncle Leo, powerhouse against Jack Klompas. That is a lot of eyebrow hair going on. I just want to say, this is a game I don't watch. Yeah, it's ugly. I don't think I can see it. It's ugly. The score's in the 40s. They're really out there to hurt each other. They're not even playing ball. They both um, love saying, do me a personal favor. So that's exactly. going to go back and forth. Take the pen. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I have Uncle Leo edging him out on, like, probably a last-second technical foul. Yeah. The, uh, I went – while the eyebrow hair is impressive, I actually went with Uncle Leo because his ear hair – uh, was probably <laughs> more impressive. So I also have Uncle Leo advancing. So that sets up our big regional final matchup to advance to the final four out of the Jerry region, Dr. Tim Watley versus Uncle Leo. Where do you stand on this one, Nate? I got Watley. As do I. Interesting. I love Tim Watley, man. Tim like, Watley is the best. He's one of the greatest characters ever. Um, he did so much with so little screen time, I think was the best yeah. part about him. 
Yeah, like he's not even featured in the episodes he's in that much. Like he doesn't have that many scenes, but he's mentioned in nearly every scene. And so he manages to like exist even off screen. And he's just this force in their lives. Like he has the Thanksgiving um, party where Jerry crashes and isn't sure if he's invited, but he's chipped his tooth. So he needs to find a dentist. And then he uh, takes advantage of Jerry in the chair. <laughs> and then he converts religion simply for the jokes. I mean, that's, that's it's a character you're not going to see anywhere else. A lot of grounds. The only ar- counter argument I make for Uncle Leo, even though I picked Watley as well, uh, in my research for the show, I stumbled upon the clip where uh, they're watching Leo shoplift books. And <laughs> uh, Jerry says to Kramer, oh, look, there's, my, uh, there's Leo. And Kramer's like, who? And he's like, Uncle Leo. And, he, and Kramer says, oh, I didn't ever know his first name. <laughs> I forgot his first name. <laughs> yeah. Uncle. Uncle Leo. All right, so we both have Watley advancing. I think, I think that's pretty good. So, I feel like goodbye to Uncle Leo after many, many hellos. All right, so Watley comes out of the Jerry region. Yeah, let's, so that's the Jerry region. We'll come back to him uh, in the final four. But now why don't you take over the reins here for the Elaine region? Yeah, let's do Elaine. So, okay. So in the one seed versus the 16 matchup, we have uh, Elaine's boss, Jay Peterman, is the number one seed for reasons that I hope are obvious. He was prominently featured in a number of episodes. Um, and he's going against the Susie, who is Elaine's, Elaine's alter ego. Alter ego, yeah. Um, I said the, oh, the horror, the horror, because this is probably the biggest thrashing I had in all of my first round matchups. I just don't think I mean, think he Elaine shuts can... her out, right? It's the first shutout basketball game in history. Yeah, I think it's like 93 to nothing, and Peterman's romping on. Uh, Peterman, incidentally, the, well, we're going to get into a couple of these, but I feel like he was a most interesting man in the world for the 90s. Uh, yeah, he was the most I interesting man in the world before the most interesting man yes, in the world. Definitely. Uh, so, yeah, he wins in a route. So then in the uh, 8-9 matchup, we have the maestro, Bob Cobb, um, who is a conductor and pool player, against uh, Carol, who you may remember from the episode. She was always the one who they, uh, you gotta see the baby. Gotta see the baby. Um, Oh, uh, all right. So who do you have there? Um, Well, at the end of the day, as much as I, I loved Carol, because she facilitated one of the great, Seinfeld episodes of all time and probably the greatest Seinfeld episode all time that took a place exclusively outside of New York in the Hamptons where they all mm-hmm. went to visit the baby. Kramer got the lobsters, got her to try have Rachel Goldstein try them despite her being kosher. And of course, that was the shrinkage episode most famous mm-hmm. for. Uh, I had to go with Bob Cobb in the end, the maestro. Yeah. I feel like he would keep his pants, you know, take his pants off before the game to keep the crease intact and he would just, you know, take old Carol to school. Yeah, and uh, his love of the three tenors, um, or the third tenor, the nameless tenor, yeah, the also nameless bumped tenor. him along nicely. Um, all right, so now we have uh, in the four seed, Elaine's boss, Mr. Pitt. Justin Pitt. Justin Pitt, um, and he is going against Noreen, who was Elaine's friend who was first involved with a gentleman who was boring on the phone. That's right. Um, and then Elaine and Jerry meddled with that, and she ended up breaking up. And then she was involved with uh, a guy named Dan who was a high talker whose voice sounded like a woman. Yes, very emasculating. Uh, yes, so who, who do you have? Um, well, I think Mr. Pitt takes out his knife and fork and carves her up like a Snickers bar. <laughs> yes, definitely. In spite of her army training. Um, That's right. Which she did uh, discharge. Or she, Elaine told her to join the army and then uh, told her to quit. And then Kramer had her go back into the army. Very impressive. Yeah, I, still, I still have Mr. Pitt. Uh, Carving her up. Yeah, I think that's a pretty big romp as well. 
Yeah. Um, so then we get into a 5-12 matchup that I think will be very interesting. We have Russell Dalrymple, uh, head of NBC from season four, I think, when they were doing the Jerry show. Yep, played by the uh, uh, stalwart Bob Balaban from a lot of the Christopher Guest movies. Yes, and he's facing off against the powerhouse 12 seed that is the Soup Nazi. Yeah, and just so viewers know, he, or our listeners know, he got in on a technicality, essentially, because he wasn't two episodes, obviously the Soup Nazi episode, and then he recurs in the, the finale as one of the people that testifies against our foursome. Yeah, so Yen Kassem, we learn his name is. That's right. Um, who do you got? Well, I thought Balaban was great, and he has one of the great lines uh, in the show's history when he and Jerry and George are going back and forth, and George is being very brazen. And right. he asks him, why would people watch this show? And, and George says, because it's on TV. And then he quickly quips back, not yet it isn't. Not yet it isn't. Yeah. Yep. Um, and but, uh, father to Denise Richards. That's right. Um, but at the end of the day, even though I hate to go with sort of a one-off character, I think the Soup Nazi wins this 12-5 battle in, that little op, uh, in an upset. Because at the end of the day, Nathan, my rationale is, what other thing in the world could make Nazism slightly cool again? <laughs> well, there's there's that. I mean, I had Russell winning this just because I think the idea of someone who is like, like just because of the speech he gives after Elaine rejects him when like he fires someone, he flips out and is like, I'm the most powerful man in New York, blah, 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 blah. Like I can have any woman I want, but he's really just upset because he didn't have Elaine. That uh, resonated with me. But I'll, I'll cede you the soup Nazi simply because – <laughs> like in the commercial Jerry's in now, mm-hmm. there's only one character from Seinfeld in that commercial, yep. and it's not even one of the main four. It's the Soup Nazi. It's one of those arguments where you could see why someone would vote against the Soup Nazi, thinking that he's overrated. But the mm-hmm. fact is, is he's the most iconic one-off character that they ever created on the show, for better or and, worse. And his catchphrase, no stoop for you, like, I still hear. Um, it was so, yeah, an ESPN Sports Center uh, catchphrase for a while on block shots, so that definitely. ties what, right into March Madness. So yeah, let's let's move the soup Nazi on in our first twelve five upset. Okay. Um, so then we have Elaine's boss, Mister Lipman, um, who eventually he worked at Pendant Publishing for a while, and then eventually started Top of the Muffin to you. <laughs> That's um, not how you say it, Nathan. Well, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, and he is going up against Peggy. Uh, Elaine's co-worker, who was a germaphobe and thought that Elaine Bennis was adult. Uh, so Elaine uh, pretended to be the Susie. Well, I- I'm going to say that Mr. Lipman goes right to the top of the winner's circle for you. Um, because I-, I just feel like the ability to steal such a great idea like the muffin top uh, is going to outdistance Peggy. While she had a good sourpuss face, it didn't really bring a lot as far as no, I No, see, for me, Peggy's vitriol. Like complete unbridled vitriol and the disgust on her face when uh, Elaine's trying to help her out with her germophobia. And, and so she brings Putty, who is who is a germaphobe. Um, yeah, that's right. To see her. And the woman goes, Elaine, I pre- or Peggy goes, I appreciate you bringing the man you're currently sleeping with to talk to me. <laughs> um, but there's not a lot you can do. And I just I feel like her vitriol is great. And I don't think Lipman brings much to the table. Like, But here's my argument for Lipman. They brought back no Elaine Boss more often, despite Peterman being more interesting mm-hmm. and Mr. Pitt being more interesting. Littman just kept resurfacing. He was just like a bottle you threw into the ocean that just kept re- coming back to shore. And All right. I will give it to you, but only because he championed Kramer's coffee table book. That's right. For that alone, getting Kramer on Regis and Kathy Lee is, is worth, <laughs> All right. Yes, that's quite an victory. achievement. Um, All right. So we got, got Littman in there. Um, we have 
Sue Ellen Mischke, Ooh. the brawless wonder, yeah. heir to the O. Henry candy bar fortune, uh, going up against uh, Chinese food delivery man Ping, Ooh. who Elaine uh, caused to get into an accident and was going to sue her. Yeah, and they, they certainly didn't go out of their way to not make Ping a stereotype. Speaking well, of nor, his... did, nor did they go out of their way to make Babu Bot not a stereotype. Yeah. Or, you know, racism was cool in the 90s. Well, I feel like the big problem for Ping in this matchup in the 6-11 is that the short, young Chinese boy is going to come up to about cleavage yeah. level for Sue Ellen Mishki. Who's no, a, Sue Ellen just crushes him. She's it. Amazonian, and so just she just puts them between, you know, his head between her cleavage and just pops his head right off. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's uh, an erotic battle, I'll tell you that much. Sounds sounds amazing. Um, yeah, I agree completely. I had her killing him. Okay. Uh, so in the 7-10 matchup down here at the bottom, we have Jake Jarmel, famous author. Uh, going against Tina, Elaine's roommate. This was uh, probably, I think, the weakest matchup in the entire bracket, just because I think while both these characters, they had their a few moments here or there, I, I just don't think they're all that memorable, quite frankly. I think Jake Jarmel's biggest calling card were those uh, Thai glass frames that everyone was... Oh, they were from to. Malaysia, That's Mike. right, Malaysia. I have didn't that want down. anyone to know where he got them. That's right. And I even wrote that, that down, and you know that's why you're here to correct me, Nathan. Yes. Um, Tina was interesting in that she was Elaine's roommate back when she had a roommate. Uh, and then she wasn't she, she dated with, Kramer yeah, for a while. She was with Kramer for a while. They did a great sort of half naked dance through the living room that was mm-hmm. pretty kooky. But at the end, I went with Jarmel and those uh, eyeglasses because I just felt like that was the single most memorable characteristic about either of the two of them. Yeah, I also went with Jake, but partially because I have literally, since I've been in Chicago, done that. Like, lied about where I got my glasses because I don't want anyone to have them. That sounds like something uh, you would do out of spite. Yeah, it totally is. Um, yeah, they're from Denmark, in case you didn't know. I get glasses <laughs> in countries I've never been to. Um, so, all right. So we got Jake going there. And then in the bottom of the bracket, uh, we have David Putty. Oh, yeah, we do. needs no introduction. Against Rabbi Glickman, who lived in Elaine's building and had a penchant for sharing her secrets. Yeah, she, he, she had great shiksa appeal for him and his son at his bar mitzvah, which is a, a great one. No, I think well. it was actually Lippman's son. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but the, I think the rabbi she was there saw, to talk yeah, him Yeah, she saw it. his counsel. That's right. And then he started uh, driving hard to the hoop. Um, as much as the rabbi sort of you know weaves his way into things, I just think Putty wins this in, in a landslide. Putty wins it in a walk. Yeah. I mean, like slaughter roll. Um, all right, so that brings us back to the top here, where we have Peterman facing off against the Maestro. Well, I think Peterman likely gets off to a slow start in the first half because he's going to be so intoxicated by the Maestro's charms. It's right up his alley. Definitely. Yes. But I think in the end, old Jokopo, as is, we find out is Peterman's real first name. First name, yeah. He just starts laying on the stories and the similes, my favorite of which all time was, this dry air is curing me like a black forest animal. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, I have Peterman in a walk here. I mean, Peterman to me is sort of like Kentucky this year. He's a powerhouse. Like, yeah, like everyone kind of had him favored to win the whole thing, and we'll see how that works out. But yeah, he, he crushes old Bob Cobb. Yeah, let's march him on. Sorry, Bob, but uh, your time has come. All right, so then we have Mr. Pitt against the Soup Nuts. Ooh. Well, I uh, feel like Mr. Pitt here is going to dive into his bag of tricks. And what he's going to do here in a classic move is going to put on that old Hitler mustache that he used in the Molin Springwater merger meeting, and that will completely stymie the one-trick pony that is the soup Nazi, taking the Nazism to the next level. So uh, the other argument I would make in favor of Mr. Pitt is he really – well, Elaine had a lot of great foils, but he was a really, truly great one, just sort of his – uh, class level, you know, sort of playing mm-hmm. to Elaine's wanting to be kind of, I think, more... To be a part of that high society. Yeah, debonair than, yeah, than she really was. 
Yeah, but her duties were getting socks and buying pens. Right. Um, yeah, I definitely have Mr. Pitt advancing. Um, uh, though, we'll see what happens to him when Jay Peterman shows him a 3D eye picture. Yeah, it's going to be problematic. Um, all right, so here we have Mr. Lippman against Sue Ellen Mischke, the brawless wonder. Well, Nathan, I don't need to explain to you how much I love boobs, and I know that you feel similarly. <laughs> uh, and I think... In a lot of ways, you know, definitely Sue Ellen Mischke is to Elaine what Newman is to Jerry. You know, the Absolutely. ultimate arch nemesis. And even though she gets very little screen time, she's probably in, I think, like five or six episodes. She definitely holds her own. And every time she was on screen, she just made Elaine feel so small, both literally and mm-hmm. figuratively. I- I'm having Sue Ellen march on here. Yes, I have uh, the brawless wonder moving on. Thank no God. problems there. Um and really, well, I mean, we'll get to this later, but, like, honestly, a Kim Kardashian before Kim Kardashian was Kim Kardashian. Like, if this, if Seinfeld were written today, Sue Ellen Mischke would have had a sex date. Yeah. I feel I'm like. Sure, like, I'm she sure was she just a, a rich, brawless idiot. I'd be Googling that right now in that reality. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, all right, so then we have Jake Jarmel versus Putty. Well, <laughs> Nathan, to me, it feels like an Arby's night. And uh, <laughs> that's checkmate for Mr. Jarmel. Putty is, is advancing on pretty, yeah, pretty easily I mean, here. Yeah, it's not, again, not even really close. No. Um, you don't want to run into Putty. He's no. a buzzsaw. He is a buzzsaw right now. Let's let's get to the Sweet 16 match. All right, so we have Peterman versus Mr. Pitt in so, a battle of Elaine's former bosses. Yeah, probably her two best bosses of all time. I mean, clearly we think so because they've advanced mm-hmm. this far. Um, I feel like at the end of the day, you already said it. You foreshadowed this coming, but he, Mr. Pitt gets mesmerized by that 3D art painting. Peterman starts to get mesmerized by one of his own stories, but in the end, he's over to his long windedness allows him to persevere in an overtime battle. Uh, where yeah, I think it's it's definitely a war of attrition. Yeah, he ends up sort of pulling out the Haitian voodoo rattle torture finishing move, and it's just <laughs> yes. too much for Mr. Pitt. <laughs> it's too much for old ass Mr. Pitt. I agree <laughs> completely. Um, and Peterman looks good doing it. Yeah, that's important. He is a debonair man. He was sort of a. As much as he was the most interesting man in the world, also sort of had the Don Draper before Don Draper sort of uh, yes, cool in the suits. Uh, he definitely did. And so then we have a powerhouse matchup of Sue Ellen Mischke against David Putty. I feel like this could be some of the hottest sex of all time if these two got together. Oh, they would have some good-looking kids. I feel like Putty's moves would probably be borrowed in those, you know, in that sort mm-hmm. of sexual escapade. But I think the thing that he has going for him here is David Putty, above all else, has the ability to just stare right through the cleavage there. Just that yep. blank stare doesn't get in his way, and the grease monkey romps to victory here for me. I think, yeah, I think he uh, slides on through. Here's one thing I wanted to propose to you, though, Nathan. The greatest storyline that wasn't on Seinfeld. They didn't do a lot of, like, sort of serial plots that extended mm-hmm. through multiple episodes, but if instead of Sue Alamishki marrying that random Indian guy... So that if they had the back Putty? Up, yeah, what if she'd married Putty? Elaine would have gone through the roof. <clears throat> that would have been amazing. I think we should write that spec. I think uh, <laughs> this I, is over. That would be the greatest spec that you and I would enjoy and no one would care about reading in the industry. That's <laughs> true. I mean, the two people still listening wouldn't even, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't even want it. Um, all right, so that brings us to the Elite Eight matchup. Yep, big regional um, final here. Who's going to um, make it to the final four? Jay Peterman versus David Putty. Oof. Well, It's I, tough. I feel like it's only fitting in the great eight of this tournament to quote David Putty and say, you got a question, you ask the eight ball. Oh, I was going to save that story for later, but literally that is the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. It, and when he, it's just a throwaway line in the in the. It is. Tag. It's just a tag. Yeah. Like, 
when he came in in the Joe Mayo episode with that uh, eight ball jacket on, like I distinctly remember watching in my room in high school, like home from work at the video store and crying, like uncontrollably, like my stomach hurt. It was amazing. It sounds like you were probably having a lot of sex in high school based on that little uh, biography you gave us. No, usually the crying (laughs) was alone and in a dark room. Yeah, I feel like Uh, Putty's face painting alone scares Peterman off and he goes running for cover. Yes, for sure. All right, so we got Um, our our first two final four. Yeah, we got Putty and... uh, Tim Watley. Tim Watley. All right, well, let's jump into the Kramer region, which definitely has some of the biggest... uh, Strangest characters uh, in, the, in the turn. Giddy up. Here we go. The one sixteen matchup, as you might have already guessed, based on what we've come up with so far. The one seed here is Newman, of course. Um, yeah. Who, while many people think of him as Jerry's nemesis, was first and foremost Kramer's good friend in the building. Before we even saw Newman's face, actually. Um, and he's going up against the 16 seed, bit of a lightweight, Rusty the Homeless Guy, who actually did occur in a, a couple of episodes, including one with Newman where they, Kramer started the rickshaw business. Yeah, and, and he stole Kramer's uh, Tupperware. That's right. Uh, Nonetheless, I, I mean, I have Newman in a romp. Yeah, the mail never um, stops and neither does Newman in this first game. He's just, he's bringing it hot and heavy. Yeah, he got lucky. It's not raining. That's um, right. <laughs> so he's able to play pretty well. Uh, all right, so that brings us to our 8-9 matchup. The battle, uh, we've had the battle of Elaine's best two bosses. Now we have the battle of Kramer's two best, some might say imaginary friends, but certainly friends we never actually saw on screen. So that's Bob Sacamano versus Lomez. Where did you uh, weigh in on this one, Nathan? Well, in spite of all of Lomez's uh, devout Jewish uh, service, you know, at the Knights of Columbus uh, Jewish singles meeting, uh, I had Sacramento just because of his uh, knowledge about rat hats. Yeah, I mean, he's like Red and Shawshank, basically. He's a no, a guy that knows how to get things, whether it's Russian rat hats. Plus, he, he we know he dealt with a hernia surgery. He dealt with getting mm-hmm. rabies. Um, he's had shock treatments. He worked at a he's condom a factory. Life. Yeah, he's from Jersey. That's all you really need to know yeah. about them. So we have uh, Sacramento yeah. moving on past old Lomez, moving into the second round. All right, our 413 matchup in the Kramer region. Crazy Joe Devola, a powerhouse if there ever was one, uh, against old Earl Haffler. And for those that might not remember, which I'm guessing is most of you, Earl's best known for being the uh, Texan oil billionaire who bets uh, arrivals and departures at JFK with Kramer when he's dealing with his uh, gambling addiction. Which is my single favorite, like, random Seinfeld plot. Yeah, tremendous. Like, or just, like, random runner. Like, I've wanted to do that every time I'm in an airport. Was it enough um, to have uh, Earl prevail in the matchup? No. Yeah, uh, I, so. I love Crazy Joe Devola, and not just because he's a blonde, crazy writer. Um, <laughs> Similar I, hairline to you as well. Yes, he's 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 tremendous, and we'll we'll get into the reasons later. I'm sure as I have to defend him through this tournament, but uh, he's an excellent photographer, and he knows the karate. And I think so, he puts the kibosh on old Earl. He definitely does, <laughs> and moves on. All right. Let's move to our 5-12 matchup here. We've got the Drake. Do you love the Drake or hate the Drake, Nathan? I hate the Drake. We'll find out soon. Uh, He's facing off against Leslie the Low Talker, who is best known for being Kramer's girlfriend who persuades, unknowingly, uh, Jerry to wear her puffy shirt on the Today Show. Uh, Yeah, I have Leslie winning this because the Drake, he just can't seem to get it together. Like, he can't keep an engagement going, you know, he just seems like a disaster of a human being. So I have Leslie in the upset here. I agree with you. I, I felt like Drake doesn't deal well with women, as we know, the divorce with the Drakeette, you know, the broken mm-hmm. engagement. Um, and the low talker, you know, just 
low talks her way right to the the finish line here. Forgets the, yeah. the upset here. Try, try as hard as they might. They could never get to a Drake wedding. So nope. Leslie definitely happened. gets it. Wasn't to be. Um, all right, moving down the bracket to the three fourteen matchup. We have the littlest man in this tournament, Mr. Mickey Abbott, best known as, well, the only real little person to appear on Seinfeld multiple times, Kramer's buddy, um, against Sal Bass, who Kramer thought was, was convinced <laughs> Salman Rushdie. was Salman Rushdie when they uh, hung out in the sweat room at the old New York Athletic Club. Nathan, where did you weigh in on this little versus luminary battle? Uh, I got Mickey, but he's lifting. He's getting away with it. But he's uh, he's definitely wearing lifts. But uh, I think that lets him beat uh, old Sal Bass in spite of the way Sal Bass took care of himself. I feel like if Mickey can battle fake Chlamydia, he can definitely take care of Sal Bass in this, yeah. this first match. So we're going to move on the little guy and move down to the 6-11 matchup here. An intriguing contrast in styles. We've got Babs Kramer, mother of Kramer, and mm-hmm. FDR, Kramer's uh, very large. He kind of looks like John Popper from Blues Traveler. Yep. Um, his friend, hot dog who, salesman. Yeah, best known for being uh, prominently featured in the backwards episode when Sue Ellen Mischke gets married in India. Kramer's storyline takes pl- place back in New York with old FDR and their prank battle. Yeah, though he pops up in other ones like George buys a hot dog from him a few times. Um, but yeah, it's Franklin Delano Romanowski, um, and I have him uh, beating old Babs Kramer Whoa, here. Hold on, hold on, Nathan. Show some respect for the woman that spawned Cosmo Kramer. I mean. <sighs> Come on, the single. She's she, she's, she's too res- drunk to play. She's responsible for the single biggest reveal on the show ever, which is revealing the first, first name. name. I feel like that alone, not to mention her seductive powers with Newman. Oh, uh, that was an equal. I mean, the heat coming off that screen was enough to melt my television. Newman wants no um, part of Babs if they were to meet up. I think he would, you know, succumb to her charms once again. I, I've got Babs here beating out right. FDR. He seems a bit of a big burly one trick pony for me. All right, I'll give you Babs just because I don't, I don't really care. Yeah, I don't <laughs> um, feel strongly about the battle. But no, I don't really feel strongly about either. But I don't know. She's kind of eh. yeah. I agree. She could have been better, or at least more used. I think that's the biggest problem. Is she's probably only in three episodes. Yeah, that's true. She's um, mentioned in a few though. Yeah, before we ever meet her, definitely. All right. Well, we'll give Babs the nod there, and we'll move down to our seven ten matchup, which faces Joe Mayo, he purveyor of the great parties. Against Bob and Ray, who you might not know by name, but you would probably remember as the bickering gay couple who are always giving Kramer a hard time, whether it's trying to steal his armoire that he's guarding for Elaine or getting to him to pin on his AIDS ribbon during the AIDS walk. Um, where did you stand on this battle here? Oh, just a quick caveat for the listeners. All four characters were chipping in on a gift to buy Joe Mayo, and it was actually Kramer that said that he didn't have any idea who Joe Mayo was. And so because he was uh, actually linked to the other three, we thought it would be ironic to throw him in Kramer's region here. Plus, Kramer needed more characters. Yes, uh, he was a little light. I have um, – I mean, they're, they're Bob and Ray, but one of the guys was also named Cedric because they screwed up, I think, and forgot what they named him. But I have the, them advancing partially because there's two of them, but also because of their love of armoires. I uh, I I never liked the Bob and Ray gay duo. I? I just always felt like they were. I, I felt like those were a missed opportunity to be a, a much funnier sort of uh, character or pair of characters there. And in the end, I went with Joe Mayo because, in the words of David Putty, that guy's all right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like they were good uh, characters just because they went against the stereotype of like what you would think a gay couple to be and being like a little bit aggressive. Um. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I'm going to give you the two for one here because they're right. the two guys. And, uh, you know, if you can intimidate Kramer, I feel like you could probably intimidate Joe Mayo. Yeah, probably. I mean, Joe Mayo would probably have someone else do his intimidating for him anyway. Right. Since what he does is put other people to work. Don't tap the glass. No, exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. So, all right give, so the final one. We'll give him the, the pair the move on there. So now in our final Kramer first round battle, our 215 matchup, we've got the heavyweight Jackie Childs Esquire against Dr. Van Nostren, one of Kramer's most successful alter egos. We've got a doctor and a lawyer here, Nathan. It's definitely yep. a joke starting here, but where do you weigh <laughs> in on the battle? Uh, I got Jackie Charles. Yeah, and I don't think it's around. close. No. Um, so, I mean, it's such a such a product of the times of like an obvious like Johnny Cochran parody, but right. We'll get to that a little bit later in my sort of uh, thinking about the, the this bracket. But I feel huh. like in this first round, Charles drops the bomb on him, and uh, that's it for old Doctor Van Nostren. His mole slicing defense is just not enough. No. All right, so let's move on to round two. We've got. Newman facing off against Bob Sacramento. Um, yeah, I got Newman winning this one. Yeah, I I, I love that the two characters actually come together in the same episode when uh, Kramer sells his stories to Jay Peterman when Elaine's trying to write his biography. One of my favorite Kramer lines where Elaine asks him what happened to Bob Sacramento in the story. And Kramer says nothing. His part of the story is over. <laughs> part of the story is over. So yeah. instead, Newman swoops in with his barrel full of Bunyan stories, and I think that's too much for Bob to overcome here. And we're back with our four versus twelve matchup here. We've got Crazy Joe Devola in the second round facing off with the Low Talker Leslie. Talk to me, Nathan. What do you got? I got Crazy Joe Devola just cutting her up into little pieces and shipping her home. Yeah, make me uh, laugh, clown. That's what she would say to him in a very yes. low voice, and then she would get her come up and very quickly. Uh, yeah, he puts the kibosh on her for sure. Yeah, definitely. So we're moving on. Crazy Joe is going to face Newman. But before we get to that, let's get to the bottom half of the bracket here in round two. Little Mickey Abbott versus Babs Kramer. We, we had move on uh, by a nose over FDR. So I'm guessing I know where you stand on this one. Um, I have Mickey just because of his staunch support of capitalism. Yeah. Uh, in the episode where he's playing an elf and Kramer is uh, Santa. Kramer starts toying with the idea of communism, and Mickey is having none of it. Yeah, he is a true American, true capitalist American. I gave him the nod here uh, because I feel like the scene with him and Kramer on the double date with those girls where Mm -hmm. they switch chairs because they can't figure out who is interested in whom is the single best bit of physical comedy on the show. And they finally found someone that was a match for Michael Richards in the physical comedy department in Mickey. And they were just a tremendous foil for one another. Yeah, they were great on stage uh, together. Um, Okay, so in the very bottom half of the bracket here, we've got Jackie Childs facing off against Bob and Ray, who won in a squeaker uh, where there's some dissension and disagreement between us. So who do you got between Jackie and the gay pair? I got the gay pair. Whoa, really? Upset alert. Uh, Upset alert. I don't... For as good as Jackie Childs is, like, he's... It's too much of what I said earlier. Like, he's too much of a a Cochran parody. Like, he almost belongs on a sketch show. Yeah. I I actually use that same logic to oust him in the next round, so I'm not going to disagree with you here. Even though I didn't even have the, the gay pair... Moving on past the first round, I think. Well, I got news for you. They're not going to do well against the short fellow they're going up against. No, next. they are not. And and the same is going to be true in my bracket. Let's actually start with that match since we're already talking about sure. it. Sure. Start at the bottom of the bracket. We got Mickey going up against uh, Bob and Ray here. Uh, I got Mickey. Well, no. Obviously, what is your rationale though? Um, 
I feel like his multiple failed marriages have kind of <laughs> bred a toughness in him. Sure. Um, so he'd be able to just like really D up and body up on these guys and, and you know, at the end of the day, win the game, like probably in the 50s. Yeah, I think he could win that sort of low scoring battle. And uh, like I <clears> mentioned <throat> before, I think Mickey is actually a pretty underrated character. He just has that uh, incredible sort of fully fleshed out character as opposed to like someone like Jackie Childs or the gay pair where it's just almost more of a parody of a person. You know, they really. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and, and what I like about Mickey is like. Obviously, they did the storyline about the lifts, but for the most part, like it's almost never really a big deal that he's a little person. Yeah, he's like it's not just, at all. He's there's just no Kramer's jokes buddy. about it. Yeah, he's just Kramer's buddy who happens to be small. Right. Um, and I thought that was handled very well. Single best choice they made, I think, uh, as it relates to Mickey, certainly. Definitely. All right, so that gives us uh, the top of the bracket here. We've got Newman facing off against Crazy Joe Davola. Who do you got, Nathan? It's a look. It's a two overtime game. Yeah, double OT. It's it's double OT. Um, but I have Newman losing because he traded his motorcycle helmet to Kramer, uh, and he needs that helmet to protect himself from Joe Davola's kicks. Here's my argument for Newman. I think halfway through that second overtime period, Crazy Joe Davola goes our test, and there's an melee in the stands and they end up awarding Newman the victory out on technical fouls fouls. that is a rationale I had not considered Um, I'll give it to you even though though you're busting my bracket right now Mike Maloney well that's Um, something you're going to have to deal with so that gives us a regional final in the Kramer region of Mickey versus Newman who do do you got well I had Joe Davola winning this but I gotta go in that matchup I gotta go Newman yeah I Uh think Newman was the only person that could compare to Mickey as far as foils for Kramer. And it's just, as much as I'd love to advance Mickey on, just the depth and the and deep catalog of episodes with Newman being awesome. The next time you're watching an episode where they are in Newman's apartment, which there aren't many of them, yep. pause it and take a look at the things on his shelf. Uh, everything is food-related in some way. Whether it's like <laughs> a giant, like plastic ice cream cone or a thing of donuts or like cans of food well it's just all decorated uh with food like it might be a diner we know the chunky that left these chunkies these chunkies for sure all right so we got Um, newman moving on to the final four let's hit our last bracket here the george region yep you take the reins here nathan all right is uh we're in the george region and the number one seed uh, versus the 16 is number one is Frank Costanza. Yeah, it is. And he's going against uh, Ruthie Cohen at Monks. Yeah, for those that don't know, Ruthie is uh, not named very often, but she's the cashier at Monks who actually appears, other than Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer, appears in a, a whopping 101 episodes. Granted, she probably only has one or two lines of dialogue in all those episodes combined. And for those of you who don't know what Monks is, that's the name of the coffee shop where they hung out in every fucking episode. Right. Um, but I, even though she appeared in all those 101 episodes, again, that stat is courtesy of Wikipedia, so it could be off. Um, I feel like Frank Costanza would spend the entire game figuring out Ruthie's bra size. He'd go with, yeah. he got the A, the B, the C, and the D. The, B, the D is the biggest, Nathan. Yep. I feel like Frank runs out, scores the first basket, and then hands the ball to the ref and says, I'm not playing anymore. Yeah. This like, that's a, how badly he beats her. This is a whitewashing. Yeah. Right, um, let's move on, then. So then we have uh, the Battle of the Rosses. Susan Ross's parents, Mr. Ross, against Mrs. Ross. I went with Mrs. Ross here because her, one, I love wine-swilling wasp characters, mm-hmm. which she's a great one. And her sourpuss face even beats out uh, the germaphobe. For the, I'm going to 
single best sour face maybe I've ever seen in comedic I agree with both of those points, but I'm going to have to disagree with you because of Mr. Ross's affair with John Cheever. Oh, excellent Um, point. I don't even – you don't even (laughs) need to explain yourself. That that wins the day. That totally wins the day. And just the way they found out about it of like – Kramer accidentally burning down his cabin, and the only thing left is this box full of letters he had hidden there, uh, describing his affair with John Cheever in pornographic detail. Tremendous, uh, tremendous idea for an episode. Talk about yes. weird. Yeah, like that was kind of when the show started to be like, you know what? We don't really care anymore. Yeah, we're, we're going through comedy, and that's all we care about. So then, uh, all right, in our four thirteen matchup, we have uh, poor Susan Ross against Mrs. Enright. Um, Susan obviously was engaged to George uh, for quite some time after being the uh, one of the champions of Jerry at NBC. And Mrs. Enright, who is she? She's the mother of... She's the mother of a girl that George is dating, and George has the, the double... He's always trying to impress her. First he eats right, a right, half-eaten right. eclair out of the top out of, of the, the garbage trash, can. Out of the trash, comes out of the bathroom with a shirt off. Yeah, and then he <laughs> also... Right. Isn't that... I believe she's, all, she's in two episodes. That's why she's in this bracket. He's She's also the mother, I believe... Uh, I think the woman he's dating is the one that's hosting the birthday party where the fire starts and George starts pushing all the children right. and the clown out of the way to get the hell out of there. Definitely. And a young John Favreau. That's was right. That clown. That's right. Uh, who do you uh, got? Oh, I guess you're asking me who I've got. Yeah, I'm asking you. Um, I go with Susan here. Um, even though the half-eaten eclair is a tremendous moment where the line between man and bum is clearly <laughs> straddled by George, I feel like Susan, even though she's kind of a nondescript character, that's really her charm because you want to put really normal people on the screen with George to just magnify what a neurotic mess he is. Yeah, I mean, I'll get into it more, but I think Susan's a, a tremendously char- tremendously good character who doesn't perform as well in this tournament as maybe she should. But Well, we'll uh, see. We'll yeah, see. We'll, won't we'll, we? we'll see. Um, then, all right, so we have in our 5-12 matchup, upset alert, uh, Mr. Wilhelm of the New York Yankees and later the Sunshine Carpet Cleaning Company. That's right. Um, is facing off against the Bubble Boy. Oh, Moores. Yes. Um, so who you got? I uh, thought that the Bubble Boy would come out strong. He's definitely got a competitive streak in him, as we saw in that Trivial Pursuit battle with George. <laughs> but I went with kind of, I think this would be a popular upset pick in a lot of office brackets, but I went with Mr. Wilhelm. Uh, because of the fact that he was this incredibly normal sort of stand-up guy, and then for him to get sucked into that cleaning company cult just sort well, of added a new layer to him. But me. here's the thing. Prior to that cult, he had given George that assignment and then done it himself because he was crazy. Uh, and I feel like his craziness inhibits his performance on the court, Okay. and the bubble boy ends up stealing it. All right. I um, I don't feel strongly enough to battle you on this one, so let's, <coughs> let's move the bubble boy. The bubble fits right into the whole March Madness theme of being on the bubble. Yes, it does. I was speaking of bubble teams for this bracket. Uh, I had Marissa Tomei. Yes. Does That's she recur? Uh, she's mentioned in the After Susan Dies. That's right. Well, she's, she's mentioned many character. times because it's yeah. definitely George's biggest celebrity crush. Um, but yeah, she was a bubble team that came to mind along with Bookman in the Jerry bracket, who I think comes back in the... Uh, Final. Yeah, Lieutenant Bookman. A great one by, uh, what's that guy's name? He's got an initial and then his name. F- yeah, it's I know. not F. Murray Abraham, but I always get the, them confused. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. All right, so we have the bubble boy moving on. Yeah. Okay. Um, then we have a pretty great one of George's two bosses, the uh, number three seed, George Steinbrenner, as portrayed by Seinfeld creator Larry David. The boss. <clears throat> the boss. And Mr. Tomasulu, who you may remember as George's boss at Play Now Toys, 
who hired George because he believed he was handicapped, only to learn the truth. Yeah, and, uh, and then bar him from his office in my favorite Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's probably our mutually agreed upon favorite joint episode, uh, which is I believe it's the intern is the name of that episode. The voice right? is the name. Of the the voice, that's right. Kramer hires an intern, is which is one mm-hmm. of the subplots. It's funny the name of the episodes in Seinfeld are almost. Never the most memorable storyline, although there are so many good ones, it's tough to choose from them. But yeah. I feel like the voice you could make the argument is the least memorable storyline in that actual episode. Um, hello! Hello, la, la, la. Um, right, I, I went with Steinbrenner here. Even though Tomasulo showed a lot of chops in his sort of spite off with George in that episode, which was tremendous. Uh, I got to go with the boss here. I just feel like yeah. he's just oh, going to prattle on and on. And just the fact that Larry David actually supplies his voice. Is just a, it helps a him immensely. Com- big compelling factor here. Got to give it to Steinbrenner. Uh, yep, yeah, I agree. All right, so then in the six eleven matchup, uh, we have George's boss uh, Kruger from Kruger Industrial Smoothing, mm-hmm. who was uh, one of the most poorly managed companies in the history of television. One of the strangest companies to just exist in the first place. Also, <laughs> yes, that's very true. Um, and he's going up against the Doctor, who recurs who quite frequently. Really frequently. Once I started looking for him. Yeah, it started, um, I believe, in the Junior Mints episode because he's yeah. the one performing the surgery. Yeah, they have the same doctor pretty much in the Junior Mints episode. He tells George Susan is dead. He informs everyone that George's legs have atrophied. Yeah, in the Summer of George episode. Enjoy the Summer of George. Um, so who you got? I went with Kruger, or Kruger, the Frank mm-hmm. Stanza pronunciation there. I just feel like at the end of the day, while the doctor's a great sort of subtle character, Kruger helped cement George's nickname as Coco, not T-Bone. Yep. And he had many square-offs, too, that I can remember against Dr. Van Nostren, which was great. Uh, yes. The yeah, second being in, of course, the one of the great episodes of all time, the Festivus episode. Yeah, his, his support of Festivus uh, helped him along, as did I went sympathetic, because that actor is going through some really serious... Serious shit right now. Oh, is he? Let's not get into that. That's, oh, dude, did you not hear about that? No. I guess tell our he, audience. Well, we'll tell the audience. He attempted to kill himself with a gun and survived. Oh, my goodness. Like, that's going to take a lot of industrial dude. smoothing. Yeah, it really is. Like, it's a, it was a rough day for him a couple weeks ago. So we'll, we'll get him into the round of 32 and see if that helps pick him up. Yeah, I hope he's listening to this. Oh, get better God, I hope he can still hear. He's going to need uh, that doctor, Nathan, in this battle. He is going to need that doctor. All right, so then we have um, in our 7-10 matchup down here at the bottom of the back bracket, we have Lloyd Braun against Mr. Morgan, um, George's boss against George's, I would say George's nemesis. Yeah, I would say that he would qualify as the nemesis there. Um, I feel like Mr. Morgan, of all George's nondescript bosses, was the most nondescript, and that's saying something. But he was the black one. He was the black one, which there are not a lot of black characters on Seinfeld. But on the other hand, you've got Lloyd Braun and his Serenity Now attack, which, while it will result in insanity later, he's going to breeze to a win with his I mean, yeah, strong first Lloyd performance. Lloyd Braun worked for the mayor, went crazy, and then worked for Frank Costanza. Yeah, like, he, that's a pretty great character arc uh, he, to put him through. So I feel like he definitely He wins. also is a man that knows how to get his hands on some Chinese chewing gum if you need it. Yes, he does. If you want some gum that tastes like lo mein, Lloyd <laughs> Braun is your man. Uh, so then moving on in our final matchup here, we have uh, the 215 seed. Or the two seed is Estelle Costanza. George's she's, mother. She's going against Art Vandelay. Oh, probably the greatest, um, uh, what's, what's the word, pseudonym? Pseudonym. Uh, yeah, for George, his, his alter ego. 
Um, I feel like while Art Vandelay would try his best to architect uh, an upset here, uh, be the architect of an upset, I, I feel like Estelle is just too strong a force, and that voice alone would just get him to cower and run off the court. Yeah, I have Estelle winning on a last-second shot. Um, okay. But Art Vandelay, yeah, I mean, such a great character. But yeah, you can't we can't have him advance because it's George. But the idea that he kept having the same pseudonym is is very, very clever and... I wish I saw it on more shows. Um, all right, so we're moving back here. We have, at the top, Frank Costenza against Mr. Ross. I had him against Mrs. Ross, but it actually doesn't change my um, rationale uh, mm-hmm. for why Frank would come out victorious here. I feel like after about five minutes of Frank trying to figure out who's having sex with the chicken, <laughs> yes. got the rooster, the hen. Got the hen, you got the chicken. The rooster yeah. has sex with the hen. Who's having sex with the chicken? <laughs> Uh, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Ross would concede at that point, and uh, definitely. Frank would... I feel like Frank wins by forfeit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mr. Ross just gives up. Um, all right, so that brings us down to Susan versus against the Bubble the Boy. The Bubble Boy. Um, I've got Susan Ross prevailing here. I uh, do too. I had her against Mr. Wilhelm, but it doesn't really matter. I feel like she was uh, the most underrated <laughs> character on the show because not a lot of people would remember her necessarily. But mm-hmm. she was such a good foil and a very subtle foil for George. It, it really amplified his comedy because she needed to be normal. It just showed right. as he went crazy within the relationship that he just had no hope of ever being happy with somebody. Here's here's why I, I love Susan is like in a, a TV show full of sociopaths, she is normal. She's yeah. 100% normal. And her only flaw is putting up with George Costanza. Yeah. Well, like it, it costs her her job. Uh, it cost her her life. Like it cost her that sweater that Kramer. That puked sweater on. that Kramer puked all over. Yeah, like or, or I think it was a suede vest. Yeah, that's um, probably right. My God, those are details I don't need. By the way, they can get out of my brain. But yes, like, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I give it to to Susan. Um, though I think her days are numbered. Yeah, I think if George has anything to say about <laughs> um, it. They sure are. So all right, so Susan defeats the Bubble Boy, and then we have uh, Steinbrenner versus Kruger. Well, uh, as much as I love Kruger, he's going to take one swig out of his flask after five minutes of Steinbrenner going on about his fermented chicken drink that he just traded for. And uh, that's going to be it, calling it a day. George, the boss, is marching on in my bracket. How about yours? Yeah, he's got a ton of energy from all the calzones he's been eating. So he's just using that uh, and dominates Kruger, I feel like. Yeah, I have to Uh, So then down here we have Lloyd Braun versus Stell. Upset alert here for you, Nathan. Okay. And my logic here is uh, sort of contained within the show. Estelle has such a soft spot in her heart <laughs> for, for Lloyd Braun, Braun that she actually lets him win just to get George's uh, goat a little <laughs> bit more. And he he walks away with her ice p- or her water pick and the victory here in this one for me. I didn't agree, but as soon like uh, in when I made my bracket, but as soon as I just read these choices, it occurred to me that your logic is 100% sound. <laughs> um, he, she definitely would let Lloyd win. Um, uh, Alright, then she's moving on to the Sweet 16. Sure. Wow, Lloyd Braun in the Sweet 16. Serenity now. Um, Alright, so let's move back up to the top here. We have Frank against Susan. Well, m- the funniest thing about this matchup to me was that I don't feel like Frank Costanza, despite the fact that Susan was engaged to his son, could pick Susan out of a lineup or knows her first name if they met met each no other. Way. No way. Um, so I feel like he drags the aluminum uh, pole out of the crawl space and beats her with it in this matchup. <laughs> he definitely airs some grievances. Um, and then the note I wrote to myself after this matchup is, poor Lily. Ugh. 
Or Lily. <laughs> for those of you who don't remember, Kramer thought her name was Lily. The entire time. He's not good with names, as he should with the no. Uncle Leo uh, anecdote we mentioned yeah. earlier. Um, all right. So then in the bottom of the bracket, we have George Steinbrenner against Lloyd Braun. I feel like this is where Lloyd Braun finally loses his uh, loses his mind and Steinbrenner he does. marches on here. Uh, yeah, Steinbrenner just... I mean, it, it just keeps coming. Yeah. He just doesn't doesn't ever stop. He does not stop. Uh, so then we have Frank versus Steinbrenner to go to the final four. Well, uh, this brings to mind my single favorite phone message, and there were many of them back in the days of phone messages uh, when Seinfeld was taped. Jerry, this is Frank Costanza. Mr. Spry- Mr. Steinbrenner called. George is dead. Call me back. Yes. <laughs> uh, and in spite of the fact that Steinbrenner hasn't had a pimple since he was 18, and he doesn't care if you believe him or not, I have Frank Costanza winning this one. Just because of his military service um, and and general temper? I don't I just feel like he'd kill him. Here is the thing that uh, all you need to know. Frank Costanza's lawyer wears a cape. I think <laughs> that right. pretty much puts him over just about anyone. All right, so we've got our final four, Nathan. We've got Tim Watley. We've got ourselves David Putty. We've, right. We've got Well, Nick. they're not facing each other, right? Uh, well, it depends on how you're looking at this bracket. I have I have them facing each other according to the way that I I looked at the one that you made here. Okay. Am I looking at? Oh, I, well, let's just we'll put them. We can put them in our own matches. We got I mean, them. I'd done right and right. So I had I had Putty against Kistan, uh Frank, and then um, Newman uh, Tim against Watley Watley. against Newman. Yeah. So I had I had Watley versus Putty and Newman versus Costanza the way that I wrote it. But that's our final four. So we have a five seed in Watley, a two okay. seed in David Putty. A one seed in Costanza and a one seed in Newman. So let's say that they reorder so that one seeds don't face or the one seeds are f- not facing off. So we'll have it the way you said it. So t- okay. take us through the matchup again. It's Putty versus Frank Costanza. Yep, that's the the first matchup. That's the way I saw the final shaking out. The way that I had it looked at, and I have sure. Frank Costanza by a nose here. They they are my two single favorite secondary characters. I've I've got to disagree. All right, uh, talk I me have, through. I have Putty by a nose. Here's the thing. Frank Costanza can win this tournament. Frank Costanza doesn't need this tournament. <laughs> he doesn't care what two MFA holes think about his value. <laughs> he doesn't want anything to do with it, so he quits. All right, so you have Frank That's just what? bowing out of the tournament. So I have Frank just, no, not bowing. My God, he would never humble himself like that. Uh, he basically gives us the finger and never shows up. I feel like he would be all over that pool house. He'd be all around <laughs> that shuffleboard court. The one that when when they needed the most from him, Frank would show up and just destroy anything in his path. Even David. But Park. I got it. This is where I was going to use my Putty argument of the eight ball jacket is the hardest I've ever laughed. Like, not only is Putty uh, an honorable mechanic, which I mean puts him in like the rarest of categories, but he's a face painter. Um, when Elaine was like complaining about her day, he was like, "Yeah, we'll come back. We'll make out." He's just he's the ultimate idiot. Here's my bonus point in favor of Frank Costanza here. And I think this is definitely going to be our biggest argument because we're both so passionate about both sides. And by the way, Putty is my second favorite character. And we're both arguing our winners. Right, exactly. <laughs> the, in the finale of Seinfeld, they showed in the pre-show, sort of the retrospective, a blooper reel that included uh, Frank Costanza, played by Jerry Stiller, the great Jerry Stiller. And they showed his many f- flub-ups. He would just constantly not be able to spit out the lines. And the 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 episode where he confronts Elaine uh, when George has been arrested because he's playing the bad boy, 
and mm-hmm. Frank takes oh, right, Elaine right, to right. task yeah, about getting yeah. her boy in trouble, um, about whether he could hatch such a plan if he's smart enough to do it. He screws up the line so many times in a row, and Julie Louis-Dreyfus laughs harder than any laugh I've ever seen in my life, to the point that she eventually just falls to the ground um, after he flubs the line for like the 15th time in the row. And he just doesn't care. That's the best part about Jerry Stiller. Yeah. He's not affected by it in the least. I feel like this is a coin flip, Nathan. It, it is. I feel like we should almost like put a pin in this and let's go to the other side. Okay, yeah. Let's, let's come back to um, it. All right. So on the other side, we have... Watley Newman. Wally Newman. Um, well, here's where I mean, here's where I'm going to tell you that we should look at the final four the way that I had it because I had Watley versus Putty and Newman versus Frank, so that they ended up in the final against one another. Do you, all right. Well, I had I had Watley versus Crazy Joe Davola and Watley or Crazy Joe Davola winning. Whoa! So. You had Crazy Joe Davola going to the final, Nathan. Oh yeah, and losing to David Putty. Yes, yeah, um, I think the artist uh, instability gets him definitely somewhere along the line. I know, but I feel like if he could harness that rage. Um, <laughs> See, he, you're, he's a man after your right, own so heart. Who did you have if it was Putty versus Watley? I had Putty beating Watley and Costan- Frank Costanza beating Newman. Okay. So, so either, I mean, I agree with, I, I think we could both agree that Putty and Frank, they may still be playing a game. It's like that five overtime Syracuse game from a couple years ago. Right, that Jerry McNamara was, was so great in. I don't know. I don't know how we've solved this one. I think it's up to the listeners. Mike. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to end the show, Nathan. We will put a poll question on our Facebook page um, and on our Twitter account, and put it out to you, the listener, after you followed along. Hopefully, you've listened this long. We've certainly gone the distance here for March Madness. Frank Costanza or David Putty, and of course, we'll also allow you to write in your own favorite characters in the comment section if you want to make a state your case for one of the other secondary characters that we had laid waste to along the way. But I think uh, I think we've taken up enough of our uh, listeners' March Madness time, Nathan. Uh, yeah, any final so thoughts too. here on Seinfeld before we call it a show? Um, no, I I do, I do want to say that like. It occurred to me after we made this bracket, like, oh, it might be fun to make a Simpsons bracket. And then I looked at a list of Simpsons characters and rapidly changed my mind. That's like 128 team thing, and you wouldn't even get half of them. No, we we may bring this segment back uh, in future shows if we can find a show, uh, even though The Wire's already been done. I think that would have been the next best choice. But we'll figure something out. Maybe you, the listeners, can uh, make some suggestions about what you'd like to hear us debate. But until that time... Let's um, say well, a bit adieu to our podcast about nothing. Yeah, it's been a great podcast about nothing. All right, that's the show, folks. Uh, big thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Mr. Steve Schwartenstein, uh, to our sound engineer gary for mixing this together as well as uh gary and sam for providing all the music you hear here on the show uh, and then a big shout out to uh my cousin simon who helps set us up with the technical support to do this show uh yeah if you'd like to interact with us you can obviously follow us on facebook uh in development podcast is the page you can follow us on twitter in development one uh or you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. And please, we encourage you to go to the Facebook page, go to our Twitter page, email us with who you think should win that final duel between Frank Costanza and David Putty, or, like I mentioned before, give us your thoughts on who your favorite character on Seinfeld is, or a show you'd like us to do a similar bracketology breakdown of in the future. Yeah, and we'll have the bracket up shortly, so you can start the debating. Uh, and on that note, uh, signing off, 
Mike Maloney and Nathan DeWitt, both masters of our own domain. Mahalo. The In Development Podcast was brought to you by ScreenwritingNinja.com.